From NPR Music, this is Alt Latino. I'm Felix Contreras. There has been a lot going on in the world of Latin music over the last week or so, so we're going to use this week's show to try to catch up. We're going to take a look at a controversy that erupted about the Latin Grammys just after the nominations were announced last week. Also, five of those nominations went to Colombian superstar Juanes. We'll hear a backstage interview with him about his new album and his latest tour in the time of COVID. Also, a Cuban musician based in Los Angeles was interviewed about his submission to our annual Tiny Desk Contest. We'll check in with him. But up first, an interview with Jose Gonzalez, a Swedish musician with Argentine roots. He has a new album out called Local Valley, and it's another interesting turn in a fascinating career. Jose Gonzalez, welcome to Alt Latino, man. It's a pleasure to have you here, bro. Happy to be here. You know, when... People talk about your music when writers uh, interview you and try to describe your music. They always really sometimes struggle or go out of their way to describe your music. And and you mentioned the Cuban songwriter Silvio Rodriguez as an influence. Then, boom, I got it, right? His name and that tradition of Nueva Trova really puts you square in that tradition whenever we think about your music now. Mm. Yeah, especially Silvio, was, I, I grew up with his music. My parents had a couple of his records. And there was also Mercedes Sosa and, uh, and Argentinian folklore. But, but yeah, when I started playing uh, acoustic guitar in my uh, around 14, um, it was mainly Silvio Rodriguez that I started to mimic and, and uh, uh, really tried to, to reach the same level of, of uh, guitar picking and same level of being able to write poetic lyrics uh, I'm not really there yet but <laughs> especially writing in Spanish that 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 really shows how, how much an influence Silvio has been because uh, I think in in English uh, there are other artists that people uh, recognize easier like Nick Drake or Paul Simon and, uh, and then later with with all the Mali influences it's a bit more mixed up <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about that your relationship with language how many languages do you speak uh, three and a half. <laughs> so <laughs> Swedish, Spanish, English, and some German. <laughs> three and a half. Okay, I got it. Uh, does each connection to the, each individual language, does it feel different? I would imagine it's like like a relationship between three different people in different parts of your life, maybe from, you know, your professional touring life, a dad, another dad at school, you know, maybe you play pickup soccer games. What is your relationship with each language? Yeah, they, they definitely have different uh, parts of my mind. <laughs> I mean, Spanish being my the language uh, we speak in within the family, um, and it's a like a child Spanish, and and it's a the dialect I guess is a Argentinian seventies <laughs> dialect, uh, <clears throat> and then Swedish is is my main language. I've always spoken Swedish and uh, speak every day and, and so that's i guess the most uh, rooted language and then then english is uh, a bit special because it's a language i i use when when i write most of the time and it's it's also the the language with the most words i guess because i read a lot in in english uh, listen to books so many times i i when i think uh, more like uh, conceptual thoughts or, or like technical thoughts I have English words in my mind that I have to translate to, to Swedish or Spanish 
also as you were mentioning the the different uh, experiences uh, so tour life is um is a usually a, an english experience because uh, i tour with a lot of swedes but then also mixed with some germans and some uh, a congas player from la and so it's so uh, the common denominator is usually english <laughs> um but yeah it's it's a mixture and i'm happy to, that i finally find find the the piece to to write in spanish and swedish which uh, are such a big part of of who i am what was the roadblock what was preventing you from getting it from here when i'm pointing to your chest and your heart and your soul out to your fingers and and onto the page yeah. what was the roadblock for spanish and swedish uh, i think it was specifically that <laughs> that it was too direct so uh, when i was writing the earlier albums it felt too close to me uh, when i was writing and and when i was trying out how it felt to write in swedish or spanish and uh, it just didn't feel right so english was a a nice way to distantiate my, myself from from the lyrics and and hide behind metaphors so with the last couple of albums i've been trying to write in in swedish and spanish and for some reason it just felt easier in english so i just settled <laughs> but this time it felt more uh, for real and becoming a dad sort of makes you less anxious and less uh, <laughs> concerned about uh, these uh, silly ideas that that you might have as a teenager and then twin 20 something year old so i just wrote it and and it felt right Let's talk a little bit about the album. What is the source of these songs? Because I hear a lot of different things. I hear a reflection of the pandemic experience, like your closeness to your family, perhaps maybe a deeper appreciation for life and the simple connection of friendship and family. What's the source of the songs from the album? Yes, as I mentioned in, in the bio, I, I have a sort of humanist, secular humanist background uh, or worldview where I believe in us humans <laughs> as natural beings not as supernatural beings or super or, or any other supernatural beings uh, being around so uh, so uh, many of the songs reflect that that view uh, el invento visions um, uh, songs that where i uh, think about uh, the humanity on this tiny dot in in space <laughs> the Carl Sagan way. Yeah, and there are a couple of things that comes out of that. It's one one thing is that we have one life that we know about and nothing else. Uh, everything else is speculation and wishful thinking, <laughs> uh, which makes this life very precious. Um, uh, so so I have a couple of songs reflect that, I think. Your album is like a refreshing treat to be waiting for us at the end of the tunnel of this last year and a half experience, almost two years uh, that we've had. Um, I think that that's one of the things that uh, art of all forms is going to help us. If only we listen or watch or look and, and taking it all in, because I think the artists are always the ones who who help us cope, and you, especially songwriters, 
you're able to interpret things and there's a lot to interpret in this last year and a half and um yeah. it could provide source material for a long time but it, at least for now uh your new album like i said is is a really wonderful treat to be waiting for us at the end of this experience so thank you so much for uh taking the time to talk to us today jose thank you so much it was a pleasure Every year, NPR Music hosts the Tiny Desk Contest in which we ask all comers to send us their videos of them performing in front of a desk in an effort to attract the attention of our judges. One of those who sent in a video was Cuban-American artist Yosmel Montejo. NPR's Lulu Garcia Navarro interviewed him on Weekend Edition Sunday last week. Deep in the pocket of your coat There's a letter there that I that's Nefi, who won this year's Tiny Desk Contest, but we should note there were thousands of entries from across the country, and many of them were exceptional. We'll highlight some of them over the next few months on Weekend Edition, and today we have an exceptional Cuban musician, Yosmel Montejo. This is his contest entry, La Caliente. Si somos de la caliente. Yosmel Montejo joins us now from Los Angeles. Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> it is good to have a fellow Cuban on the show. First things first, um, the phrase, La Caliente, it's slang, right, for the hot one. What's the story behind the title? Imagine um, a country where you have to go every day and hustle, you know, hustle for food or anything you need. La Caliente, literally, it means the heat. And I'm just trying to uh, reflect what is happening in my society. I mean, in Cuba right now, you know. And it's a struggle day by day, you know, looking for food, medicine, um, all the needs, you know. But I just try to put it like in a, a positive way. The message is go for it. Um, no matter how many problems do we have the day by day life, we just need to go for it. No options. Let's do it. Mm. I mean, it's been a hard time in Cuba right now. It is. Um, it there's is. been a lot going on. You left Cuba when? When? When did you? When did you come to the states? Exactly like ten years ago. Yeah, I came in 2011. So the ties are strong. It is. I mean, all my family is still there. My mom and dad. You know, I'm pretty much still attached. <laughs> back to when you were a kid in Cuba. How did you discover your passion for music? Because you're a classical guitarist, you play the bass, you're a composer, you're a band leader. I have two cousins on my father's side. My cousin has a guitar on, on the house and I was, you know, hearing her like singing and playing guitar. It was like, oh, I want to do that, you know? So <laughs> we have like a special uh, school only for music. And I got in, so I was super excited. Mm. But the instrument that I want, sax. 
and I couldn't play sax. So they allowed me to get into the, the, the school, but as a trumpet player. <laughs> and then the, the, the trumpet teacher told me, hey, you don't have the conditions, like the mouth, it, no. So they moved me to percussion and I didn't like to play with the sticks. They moved me to oboe. And the reason I have to move from the oboe is because the only teacher in my in my city got pregnant. <laughs> so they have to move me again and I land finally uh, in the guitar. That was the beginning of my uh, musical career. I understand that early in your life you were a big Michael Jackson fan and he sort of really influenced you. Oh, definitely, definitely. Well, um, um, in my time back in Cuba, we, we didn't have a lot of access to records or to new music, you know, but we have access to, to Michael Jackson at the time. And that really was a huge impact on my life because I see this man excellent entertainer and a dancer and a, a musician as a singer composer that that really that really put you know that little thing on my on my heart in my town people don't know me as a musician they know me as oh you were the michael jackson impersonator whatever <laughs> oh yeah i remember you and oh yeah yeah you submitted to the tiny desk you're now on NPR. Where do you see your music career going from here? Oh, well, um, I want to keep uh, composing, um, keep producing. I want to be um, exploring uh, different fields of the, 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 the music. You know, it's, it's not that I get bored, but I have uh, a lot of curiosity in me enough to try <laughs> all the time like new things so i want to be heard well we're hearing you now Yosmel montejo <laughs> is an la-based musician you can see his tiny desk contest entry la caliente on our website npr.org slash tiny desk contest muchisimas gracias mm, gracias a ustedes gracias lulu you are listening to alt latino i'm felix contreras and we're listening to a roundup of news and interviews from around the world of Latin music. The 2021 Latin Grammy nominations were announced last week, and as usual, there were some surprises as well as some familiar names making a showing. Colombian musician Juan has picked up three more nominations, and alt-Latino contributor Marisa Arbona Ruiz caught up to Juanes backstage after a concert here in Washington, D.C., and she filed this report. After a year and a half in hibernation, Latin rock's beloved Juanes is suddenly a busy man. His emergence from the pandemic brings a flurry of creativity. His new album called Origen, a 20-city U.S. tour to promote the record, which also just picked up three Latin Grammy nominations last week. An innovative collaboration with English rocker Elvis Costello and an all-star musical tribute to Carlos Santana on PBS. I caught up with the 25-time combined Grammy and Latin Grammy winner backstage after an electrifying performance at the Anthem in Washington, D.C. to talk new music, the pandemic, and staying joyful. 
My first question was, how does it feel to get back to the stage? I'm so happy to be here again. I was missing this so much. <laughs> so it was very good for, for us to come back and, and perform in this beautiful place. And, and of course, you know, like strange for us because we were like one year and a half at home. <laughs> so we are just getting back again in the, in the, in the mood and, and it's just amazing. It must have been tough to make the decision to come back on the road and tour because we're still in a pandemic. How did that work for you? Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit weird, you know, um, because, I mean, we are all, all vaccinated, but we don't know the audience, you know, some people are afraid to go to the show, some people don't, doesn't care. So every night is kind of a little bit different, but definitely, I mean, we are so happy and we are, you know, putting all our, our, our energy and our faith and our love in every show we do, because now, we take more value of this than before, you know? Yes, and, and I was really impressed with the fact that you didn't use any screens and this oh. all came out of the pandemic, this yeah. idea not to use screens. Tell yeah. me about that. Yeah, I did definitely wanted to do that because, I mean, we spent so much time in the, uh, in the phone, uh, watching TV, like all the time we are just on a screen, watching a screen. So I said, no, let's do something different. Let's go back to the origin for say something like when you go to the shows and you just see the musicians performing that was that's what we really wanted to do and I feel proud of that because I think it's something different for, for the audience definitely and sometimes you go to the show and you are watching I mean you are watching the, the, the screens all the time all this, the, the graphics and everything but you don't see the musicians and, and I mean don't take me wrong because I love screens and, and, and screens and, and I think I love electronic music as well but it's too much now on the market like that so I just want to do something different, to be honest. I, that's, that's the point. And, and for me, just to be performing with my friends, musicians, just to play with a drummer, <laughs> with a real a human drummer. drummer, you know, with the guitar, bass, it's so nice. I mean, it's so, so refreshing for me. So this is really feeding your soul to get back yes. to the stage. Oh, yeah, a lot, a lot. Like, I, I mean, it's like every day I have shows, like, oh, man, thank God I'm, I'm going to perform tonight. It's just, just amazing, you know? I was performing by my own <laughs> in my living room every night, you know, to my kids, to my mom, to my wife, to my friends. And now uh, just to be in front of the audience is just, wow. It's, I'm, I'm, it reminds me how much I respect this and how much I appreciate and I love this music, you know, live music. I love that it came down and, and sang to somebody in the audience, but I couldn't even see what you were doing. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I just wanted to do also that. I know, you know, it's different, but I just wanted to be inside in, in, among people, you know, singing the song. And it was a very cool thing to do, I think. I love it. I enjoyed that, that moment of the show. Juanes' ninth studio album, Origen, is a tribute album, an eclectic mix of anthemic songs from the soundtrack of his life by such artists as Bruce Springsteen, Argentine rocker Fito Paez, and Dominican bachata and merengue legend Juan Luis Guerra. And true to Juanes' fashion, it's a project that follows his heart rather than industry dictates, with his own musical expressions. I, I grew up in Medellin with my parents, and my first approach to music was through these artists like Julio Jaramillo, Carlo Gardel, very old music from the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and, and till rock and espanol, like in, back in the 90s. And I really 
get inspired by, that, by those songs and those artists. So I just wanted to do like a cover album and with my versions, like taking those songs and just putting it in my own skin. And it was like a, also like a, a cool, very interesting, interesting exercise just to go back and remind who I am, where I'm coming from, you know, just to remind that essence. And it's very cool because it helps me a lot to, to look into the future. And speaking of the future, where do, you, where do you see music going now that we're coming, hopefully coming out of a pandemic soon, I hope? Yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm having working in my home studio like crazy. Like I have a lot of new music to record for next album, but next year. Um, and I am very excited about it, you know, because I did that after I record this album. So, And also the, the, pan, the pandemic was very hard, but I took uh, advantage of that. So I started to study harmony, singing, poetry, uh, guitar. I think that I feel I, I feel in better shape now and in every level. So that's very cool. I was and, not expecting that time to have to have that time off. Right. <laughs> nobody was expecting that. Right, nobody was. Yeah. Right. So now I feel like okay, that's good. And then did you come out of it with any insights? I think we were we were living in uh, opulencia, opulence. Yeah, we were like going so fast, uh, like nobody cares about anybody. Uh, we were just like ah, working, working, and just like in a very wrong way. That's my, my feeling. And I think this uh, pandemic period just uh, makes us ask ourselves, what is the reason to be here, you know? W what's the reason of everything? <laughs> and I think that's important too, you know, because sometimes when you have to f uh, be f in front of you and just have to find the right answer, just to find happiness. And happiness is, is not something that you can have forever. It's just a little piece of the day. Every day you can be happy like for maybe 10 minutes, <laughs> something like that. And then the next 10 minutes you are afraid and 10 minutes later you are angry. But, but don't take everything for granted. That's for me the most important thing about this pandemic. And, and that means family, work, uh, just be together with people, uh, just travel normal. Just, I mean, right now, for, to be honest with you, it's like there is no way to, to have a plan uh, like for next year. <laughs> I can say, okay, next year I'm going to do this or that, but yeah, you never know. You don't know what's going to happen. So it's like, it's take like day by day, try to be okay. You know? At this year's 34th Annual Hispanic Heritage Awards, sponsored by the Hispanic Heritage Foundation, Juanes performs in an all-star musical tribute to Vision Award recipient Carlos Santana. It will be broadcast on PBS on October 8th. Well, I feel very honored to, to, be, to be part of that because Santana is part of my life. And I really, really love the way he play, you know, the language he create in his guitar. Actually, I have, a, a, I think, a lot of him in my, in my playing. And uh, the fact that he's Latino, then he just changed everything, mix rock with, with, with percussion and, and, and Latin rhythms at, at that period of time, I mean, like, it's just amazing. I, I, lo I love him so much. Santana played with, with the soul. He, he played guitar like a, like a singer. And I really love that, you know? It's very cool, very cool. I love it. So for me, it's a big honor to be part of that. I did a version of Oye Como Va. Uh, I hope he liked it. I don't know, I hope, I, I hope he liked it. I did it. Because I did it in my own way, you know? I didn't play it exactly the same as him. I just played it, my feeling. So I hope he liked it because I did it with a lot of respect and love.
Well, we'll find out. No, I'm sure he does. <laughs> I don't know. You, you let me know, please. <laughs> Another high-profile project is his remake of the song Pump It Up for Elvis Costello's new album, Spanish Model, a reimagined Spanish version of his 1978 album, This Year's Model. It's been followed by duo performances on late-night TV and in concert. Pump it up. And the coolest thing about that, that recording was that, that, I don't know who was the idea, but you know, just the idea to record those songs with the same tracks, original tracks. It's just amazing. When, when Sebastian Chris, the producer, sent me the tracks, I was in my home studio listening to these guys playing. I couldn't believe it. You know, I was listening to every like, guitar, the bass, the... Oh, and I was like, I, I'm going to sing top of that. I was great. And, and Elvis Costello is such a nice guy, so talented, a super legend, you know. It's like a big legend, and for me, it's such a... I, I mean, I have no words to, to you know, to, to thank for that. It's just beautiful. Always a humanitarian, Juanes is also sponsoring a student at the prestigious Berkeley College of Music through a fund set up by the Latin Grammy Cultural Foundation. That was very important for me because, you know, when I was 18 years old and I was in Medellin at that time, I mean, I didn't have any possibility to go to Berkeley. I, I, I didn't even know, knew that was a Berkeley University of Music. I didn't have money, I didn't, nothing. So for me it was like always by ear, with friends, with photocopies of, you know. So when I, when I say, okay, maybe I, I can do this for somebody else, I just, that's the best way to give back. So I, 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 when the academy called me, I said, yes, let's do it. I, wanna, I really want to do this. I am not like a super musician, session musician for Berkeley, but I can help somebody else to be there, to be that. So I'm very proud of that, very proud. And the guy that, that won, Xavier, he's amazing. He's a guy that from Puerto Rico that played the cuatro. And he's, he's so, so, so brilliant. And he, he's like 18, 19 years old, and he decided to take the cuatro Puerto Rican and, and learn how to play and just change the way the Cuatro Puerto Ricans play. So it's amazing, you know, because just, uh, he can be just doing reggaeton or trap or something else. No, he just decided to go with the Cuatro. And it's amazing. Reporting from backstage in Washington, D.C., I'm Marisa Arpona Ruiz. And finally, there was also a bit of controversy around those Latin Grammy nominations. It involved reggaeton and representation. And I discussed some of this with Ari Shapiro on NPR's All Things Considered. Last week, the Latin Recording Academy announced its nominations for this year's Latin Grammys, and the controversy began. That's J Balvin with his song Mi Gente. He's one of the biggest names in reggaeton. And after the announcement of the nominations, he said, the Grammys don't value us, but they need us. Reggaeton artists are often asked to perform at the ceremony, but there is only one award specifically dedicated to the genre. J Balvin urged reggaeton acts to boycott the Latin Grammys, and Julissa Lopez of Rolling Stone and Felix Contreras of NPR Music are following the controversy that ensued. Welcome to you both. Hey, Thank Ari. you for having me. Okay, so J Balvin calls out the Latin Academy, and then... It kind of blows up. Julissa, will you summarize what happened next? Yes. So 
this uh, comment by Jay Balvin to, to boycott the Latin Grammys really rubbed a lot of artists the wrong way, especially Residente, who is um, a half of the duo Calle Trece, and he was really not happy with this. He kind of tears apart the idea of a boycott, and you know, it's funny coming from Residente because he actually has the most Latin Grammys in history. He points out that there are actually a lot of artists this year who are nominated, like Mike Towers, Raul Alejandro, and Bad Bunny. Um, and then he compares J Balvin's music to a hot dog cart um, and tells him that if he would like some nominations, he should look into making a better hot dog. No sé, como si un carrito de hot dog se molestara porque no se puede ganar una estrella Michelin. Yeah, he's like, it's complaining you didn't get a Michelin star when you're running a hot dog cart. So, Felix, do you think that J Balvin actually has a point here? Like, is reggaeton undervalued in the awards? Yes and no. Okay, um, I think that it took a while for the Academy to catch up to what was going on with reggaeton and give it the kind of recognition and respect that it deserved uh, as it became part of the phenomena uh, within Latin music. There have been, you know, some high-profile awards, nominations and awards within the, you know, the main categories on the Latin Grammys as they go along. Now, does it dominate the Latin Grammys and the nominations as it does almost in Latin music? Uh, probably not, but I can see, I see Residente's point in, in a way. Julissa, you know? what do you think? Is this just like Sour Grapes from J Balvin, or is this a larger issue that the Academy ought to address? I think it's tough. I think coming from J Balvin in particular, it can sound a little like complaining. You know, I think the last time I checked, J Balvin has something like 38 nominations and five awards at the Latin Grammys. Um, but there is kind of a, a history here. Um, when, when the Latin Grammys launched, there wasn't even a hip-hop category that came hmm. much later, and then it wasn't until... I, think, I don't even know when was that. Like, w- what year are we talking about here? 2000. Um, yeah, when they when they first launched, they launched uh, on CBS in English, actually. And so not recognizing hip-hop in the year 2000 is a little bit out of step Kind of weird, times. right? Yeah. <laughs> kind of weird. And then I think in 2004 is when they put together the best urban uh, category, and that's when... I think a lot of people feel that reggaeton is sort of siloed off there um, and doesn't frequently make it into the bigger categories until it starts to kind of fuse with pop music. And then once you have this pop style of reggaeton, um, that's when you start seeing kind of more artists, you know, spread along and, and kind of the J Balvins of the world um, getting awards. We've got to acknowledge that there is a racial element to this. You're talking about reggaeton getting siloed off into sort of an urban category. Typically, urban is code word for black people of color, and yet J Balvin is white. So given that reggaeton originated with Afro-Latino artists, like, I mean, here's a track from El General called Te Ves Buena. Given that Afro-Latino artists were the source of this genre, what do you make of the fact that J Balvin, a white Latino guy, is the one leading the charge of anti-reggaeton discrimination here? Exactly. I mean, I think that's kind of the, the big elephant in the room. Balvin's not talking about race, but, um, you know, the, the commercial sound that he's known for is is the sound of, of medeying and and... Um, that tends to be a much more whitewashed uh, sound with whiter artists. Reggaeton is a style of music that's rooted in black communities in Panama and Puerto Rico. 
Um, and the pioneers of, of the genre have had a really hard time getting recognized at the Latin Grammys. You have someone like Teo Calderon, who's a Puerto Rican pioneer, you know, has seven nominations and only one win. And then somebody like Evie Queen, who's a, you know, massive uh, reggaeton pioneer and, and one of the few women um, in the genre, um, she only has three nominations and zero wins. Felix, jump in here. Taking a step back and looking at the larger picture of this, you know, there is a parallel to the early days of rock and roll when, you know, you had all these African-American artists basically creating the genre, and then somebody like Elvis comes along. While he acknowledged some of that, you know, he took off with it. He got all the record sales. He got all the stuff. So there is a little bit of that. Are you saying J. Balvin is the Elvis of reggaeton? (laughs) No, I didn't say it. Not going there, bro. (laughs) Jaleesa, you spoke to the CEO of the Latin Recording Academy. What do they say about this? Um, so the Latin Recording Academy just got a new CEO, Manuel Abud, who started in August. Um, he says there's room for improvement, um, and he says that they've been working to reach out to different communities and get more submissions, but there's really no call for any big major changes. He says he doesn't see any radical changes, so you know it's a question if things are going to look any different. Ultimately, when you've got a genre as big as reggaeton, as successful, as popular, as influential, that is spinning off massive hits like, I don't know, Bad Bunny's Dakiti... Does it matter whether it gets recognized by the Latin Recording Academy? What's actually at stake here? I think it does matter. I think that in the early days when it did not recognize, when it didn't even recognize hip-hop, you know, I think that it does matter that it is recognized because it shows that the Academy is keeping up with what's going on, right? Because you don't want to seem like you're out of touch. So you're saying it matters for the Academy more than maybe it matters for reggaeton. And for reggaeton, you know, I it's hard to say because they're, they're racking up these massive views on YouTube, the streams. You know, it's, it's almost like they don't need it, mm-hmm. but they would like the recognition. Sure. That's my interpretation. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it probably doesn't make a huge difference in terms of reggaeton artists are going to continue to be very, very popular and very commercially successful. Um, but I think the the visibility matters, right? I think it's important to see artists from from all types of traditions being recognized as excellent by the Academy. I think to some people it's not going to matter. To others, it's really important. Julissa Lopez is a writer with Rolling Stone magazine, and Felix Contreras hosts the NPR podcast Alt Latino, where the conversation about Latin music continues. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you, Ari. Thank you, Ari. We should meet like this more often. Checking in over a roundup of news and features from the world of Latin music. Thank you for listening to the show this week. Don't forget to check out the El Tiny takeover of the Tiny Desk concert. There have been seven amazing performances from around Latin America and the U.S. And we have three more to go before the run ends at the end of Hispanic Heritage Month on October 15th. And also, please, please, please don't forget to check out our weekly playlist compiled by our resident groove master, Rihanna Cruz. You can find them on both Spotify and Apple Music. You have been listening to Alt Latino from NPR Music. I'm Felix Contreras. Thank you so much for listening. Please be careful out there. Thank you.